Good morning, and welcome to another episode of A Priest, a Rabbi, and a Minister Walk Into a Radio Station. I'm Dr. Pandora Carlucci, and I'm here with my co-host, Jay Horgan. Good morning, Jay. Good morning, Pandora. Great to see you and and everybody else. I'm sure people are noticing. Well, they're not noticing because we're on the radio, so never mind. They can't tell our locations. <laughs> I'm it's doing a great. It is. We are in a secret location. Maybe we'll tell you later. Maybe we won't. We're, we're actually our our semi-secret locations are uh, being brought to you via Zoom. We recorded a couple of our conversations in person, but today we are relying on the convenience of Zoom, which is a good thing. And uh, we are joined, as usual, by Reverend Kathy McAdams, Rabbi Tom Alper, and Pastor Jacob Yunker. And before we jump into our show of the day, and we're going to be talking about gun violence, and we're going to be using and exploring this topic through a theological and faith-based response and, and strategies and words. So we will first check in with our faith leaders and ask them how things are going with their congregations. And then we will go into our topic of the day. And uh, I do defer to the faith leaders to uh uh, rephrase how I shared the subject so that if, if you see a different lens or a different way to um, share that with our listeners, I please invite you to do so. But in the meantime, uh, Reverend Kathy, I wonder if you might uh, lead us off this morning and tell us how things are going at St. John's Episcopal Church. Sure. Good to be with you all. Things are going well at St. John's. Obviously, it's the end of the school year, which is also kind of the end of our program year. So um, church school has wrapped up and we had a little end of the year party. I invited the kids and their families to, uh, to my home in Canton to meet the horses and eat pizza. And uh, that was on Saturday. We had a great time. And um, let's see, we had a prayer for graduates and students and teachers on Sunday. Yeah, we're just kind of winding down. The summer is always quiet time and a time to catch up on administrative things and get ready for the new year in September. So that's that's about where we are. Oh, we were also at the strawberry stroll and that was wonderful. Well, it 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 sounds it sounds nice. It's always good to have that end of the year time to kind of bring all of your thoughts together have that time for rest and reflection and uh, uh, prayer and envisioning what's going to happen in the fall. And I have to say, thank you for the plug for the strawberry stroll. We had fabulous <laughs> weather and a huge turnout. Oh, I, did anyone else go to beautiful. the, was anyone else able to go to the stroll? We went to, my family and I went to the stroll. We had an excellent time. My father-in-law and his wife were in town. So we uh, we enjoyed the music and we got our, uh, strawberry shortcake. It was a big hit for everybody. <laughs> and you played strawberry pong at our booth. That's right. We played strawberry pong at the uh, St. John's Episcopal Church booth. Excellent time. <laughs> I like it when the booths not only share their message, but they also embrace the message of the event by doing something like strawberry pong and, and having that. And since you jumped in, um, uh, Pastor Jacob, do you want to give us an update on the Methodist Church and what's happening with your congregation? Sure. So things continue to plug along as we move into the summer. We are continuing to rethink and revamp you know, our ministry as we prepare for the fall. Uh, one of the exciting things that we are doing through the summer, this is something that uh, we've done together as a community uh, every summer since I've been in Franklin, uh, is to go through uh, a children's Bible. So we're going through a children's Bible, and that Bible is a condensed telling of, I think, around a hundred different stories. And so what we're doing on Sunday morning is we're reading from the kids' Bible, and then I'm preaching the uh, kids' version against the version that exists in kind of the full expanded Bible, and trying to highlight the things that maybe we tell our kids, but are 
conveniently left out in the in the full telling of the story. Uh, and so we are we are continuing with that. Each week is its own standalone story, by and large. And so it's a great summer series in in that regard. But it's been a lot of fun. This is our fourth year to do it, and by my estimation, we have about two more summers before we run out of stories in this particular beginner's Bible um, and have to, to think of a new strategy or go back to the, to the beginning. But it's a fun series to kind of move beyond kind of the Sunday, store, the Sunday school telling of the stories to really grapple with some of the tough issues that exist in these very, very common stories of our faith. What uh, I, what kind of um, attendance do you get? Is it, you know, well received? I would think that would be such an interesting draw for uh, parents and, and children. Well, I would like to think that it keeps attendance up through the summer. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the reality is everybody's schedule is very busy through the summer and with vacations and whatnot. I, I will say, you know, as we pull through COVID here, one of the things that has been a blessing, at least for me and I think my congregation, is that uh, where traditionally in the summer we'd see large swings in attendance, it, it seems as if, or at least I hope, our attendance has stabilized. So I, I don't know if it's necessarily the preaching or the storytelling, but I, I, I do hope that our summer attendance is kind of leveled out as we move through the summer. That's great. That's great. That that uh, sounds like it's just a tremendous program for everybody involved. That that's awesome to hear. Rabbi Tom, we saved the best for last, as some people would say. I'm not sure uh, Kathy and Jacob would say that, but uh, we'll say that. I won't say it. No, yeah. we would say I would say that. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well. In any event, uh, so, um, you know, when the Reverend uh, Kathy talked about how um, things are, are winding down, I, I mean, in theory, we're in that same place, but somehow it doesn't quite feel like it. So um, we had our wonderful end of the school year um, uh, field day. What else happened? I got COVID. I got over COVID. I'm fine. Thank you, everybody. Don't worry. I'm fine, fine, fine. We're all fine. Thank you. It was, it was a light case. But uh, basically, as soon as that ended, eh, there were lots of things happening. So June um, is full of special Shabbatot, not in the, the Jewish calendar, but just in the temple's life. So last Friday night, we installed our new board. That's always special. This Friday night, we send off our graduating high school seniors. And next Friday night, we celebrate Pride Shabbat. We have a speaker coming in <clears throat> from Brandeis, where, he, where uh, they run the, um, um, uh, they're involved in the, uh, um, uh, in LGBTQ programming at the, from the university. So uh, um, we're looking forward to that. Um, and then um, on the 1st of July, our service starts a little late because we participate in the 4th of July booth and we uh, want to make sure our people can get back from that to get to services. Uh, and then uh, for uh, several weeks after that, we have congregants leading services. Uh, I'm away in Israel for a couple of weeks and then I just don't leave for a few weeks. And that's actually always wonderful to get a whole different perspective. And our congregants are very creative in how they come up with their ideas for services. So that's uh, that's always a lot of fun and a special occasion for people. We have uh, opened up. Uh, we are uh, now serving food at the Oneg Shabbat at the uh, 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 reception afterwards, which people have uh, deeply missed uh, the chance to get that done. We're ma masking is optional. We've got the windows open uh, and, uh, you know, and, and we continue to be hybrid. So some people do one and some of the other. Um, and uh, it, and our calendar meeting is tonight. We have all kinds of things planned for next year. So we're all going to sit down together and figure out who's who does what when. Uh, and uh, so I'm, I'm, you know there's a lot to be looking forward to. And of course, planning has started for the high holy days, which are not that far away. 
So got to do all of that as well. Plus, on a personal note, my daughter's getting married in a couple of months. So that's keeping us busy. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and boy, I thought I was busy until I heard that. You're, uh, you're, you're on a treadmill that's going to keep you going uh, for quite a while, I'm sure, leading up to the wedding, which I'm sure will be if not the highlight, one of the highlights uh, of this year. That that's awesome, Rabbi. Well, it's it's uh, it's good to keep busy. Yeah, <laughs> it is, and and it, uh, it it seems like and I think most would agree that everybody are, is keeping busy these days. People are out and about, as was discussed a little bit earlier. The from what I'm hearing, I wasn't able to make it, but the attendance at the strawberry stroll was as good as it's been in, geez, I don't know how long, just from being out on the roads, the traffic on the roads and everything, people are out and about like they they got shot out of a cannon. And it is, it's great to see. It's great to see people uh, out getting involved. Can I just add one? Can I just add one piece to that? I had the uh, privilege of doing the invocation benediction at the Memorial Day uh, celebration uh, commemoration, and I mean it was a lovely day. But the, the 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 energy that was there for the parade and for the commemoration was really remarkable. I think it's exactly what you're saying, Jay. People people so want to be together again in some way mm -hmm. or another. Yeah, I, I I agree, and uh, it it is it's it's great to see it's great to see people in person, you know. But it's also as Pandora said when we first started, it's also great to have a, a technology like we're using today, Zoom, to get together when you can't see each other in person. So uh, things things seem to be. Uh, brightening up uh, as we get to the summer things seem to be opening up but we're going to delve into a uh, discussion here that that uh, has obviously been on everybody's mind over the last uh, month or two uh, I don't I can't remember a day when I open up a a app on my phone a news app and there wasn't, there isn't, and there's no articles uh, about a shooting somewhere, whether it's at a school, uh, whether it's at a shopping mall. Uh, it just, it, it happens, and it seems like that it's happening so frequently, people are almost getting numb to it. Uh, you know, as I said, it's, it's in the news almost every day and it's not the lead story all the time which is really really sad so we wanted to talk about it and i i i would like to take credit for coming up with the idea i would like pandora and i to take credit and when i tell my wife i will take credit for this but this all comes from you folks uh so rabbi why don't you kind of open up I don't know if you want to talk about how you folks decided you wanted to talk about this subject, you know, how you want to take it and, and what you want to uh, focus on. All right. Well, um, the specific suggestion came from uh, Pastor Jacob, but the topic, I think, is one that all of us have been struggling with, concerned about. I spoke at my synagogue after Uvalde and I just said that I was, I could not provide words of comfort because I did not feel comforted. I felt angry. And I am just disgusted that this has continued to happen. I mean, you know, we should have learned our lesson after, and you start naming them after Sandy Hook, after Parkland, after. Uh, the the uh, tree of life after you just you can just go on and on and on 
and its schools and its grocery stores and its synagogues and its churches and its everywhere. And there is no reason it should be like this. Um, it doesn't happen much in Massachusetts. Why? Because we have strict gun laws. It doesn't happen in countries throughout the world. Why? Because they have strict gun laws. I used to be a lawyer. I'm a firm believer in the United States Constitution, but I also believe that Constitution was not given by God at Sinai. It can be changed. The Second Amendment has outlived its usefulness. And to everyone who listens and says, but the Second Amendment, I will say, yeah, we have to follow it. We have to follow what strikes me as an absurd interpretation of it by the Supreme Court, but I'm putting my lawyer hat off. I'm not doing that anymore. But we don't have to we don't have to actually have that in our constitution and in a better world we wouldn't we need even within the confines of it we need stricter controls and i'm whole i'm told reading the newspapers we're going to get some improvement there's so much more to be done and i can talk about the jewish perspective on this and i will but i'd rather get that off my chest and let other folks talk and we'll get back to the theological side. Pastor Jacob or Reverend Kathy, why don't you just, one of you step forward and share your thoughts following this, this uh, strain thinking that um, Rabbi Tom has shared with us because you're, you're leading your congregations and giving them foundational thoughts. And you're also individuals dealing with this, the horror of the situations that we see day after day. So could one of you speak to how you're doing it? Reverend Kathy, that would be great. I, I think you used the right word, it's horror. And um, I'll just echo everything that Rabbi Tom said, it's appalling. It's sinful that we should, as a society, continue to let this happen. And And I'm so angry at our elected representatives, that they can't put their politics aside and just do what's right for for children, for uh, people of color, for all, for, for Jewish people, for all the folks who seem to be the most affected by these things. And, you know, I, I try to hold on to my anger because it keeps me from feeling helpless and hopeless. And so maybe I can find a way, maybe we can all find a way to put our anger to good use. Pastor Jacob. What are your thoughts? Following uh, the shooting in Uvalde, I took that Sunday to address the topic with my congregation as well. And one of the things uh, that it occurred to me is how quickly Jay mentioned this at the beginning of the of the show, how quickly we forget how normal this occurrence is. And I was reminded of something that a previous parishioner had given me. He, he'd actually given me a, a numbered print from a fun, uh, an artist print from a fundraiser that he had attended for Sandy Hook. And so I have this, I've had this piece of, it's, it's absolutely beautiful, but also horrific artwork in my office, rolled up in a little roll uh, for the past six years. It's, it's made a move with me. It is not something that I have hung on my wall. It's, I've just kept it in a roll. And I, I told my congregation how kind of symbolic that is of these events happen and where we respond in some way. And then we kind of, just like I do with this numbered print of this artwork of roll it up and put it up in the high corner of my office and forget about it. And so rather kind of symbolically for me in, in wake of the incident in Uvalde, it has been unrolled and is being professionally printed to hang on my office wall as a constant reminder uh, of this violence that, again, as Rabbi Tom and Reverend Kathy have mentioned, you know, that we know the solution for, but we don't seem to have the gumption to really deal with it. And uh, as long as we continue to forget, we'll probably never be able to address address the issue. So there's that side. That's how I addressed it with my congregation. But I do want to say, in particular, with the Uvalde shooting, that that shooting hit really close to home for me because the next day I had to send my fourth grade daughter to school. And uh, that that was hard, not because I don't trust, you know, the teachers and administration at the school, 
uh, here in Franklin that she attends, but um, just just the thought of of that happening in Texas and could it happen here was was awful. Uh, and then also having to explain in terms she could understand what happened in Uvalde to my fourth grade daughter um, because she's now old enough where her peers watch the news and discuss these things. And so horror and anger are probably the best words to use, but they seem somehow inadequate in having to wrestle with what's going on. As we discuss these events that take place within communities, often in sacred places like churches, safe places like schools, places that we visit every day like shopping centers, grocery stores, uh, locations we don't even think about that we just go. And how do you use your faith in discussing these very, as we said earlier, horrific um, situations? How do we help congregations, how do you as the faith leaders, help congregations to move forward, to find their footing uh, in all of this and follow the traditions of faith that are part of their belief and stand up against this? How, how do you do that as, as the leader in your house of worship? And I would open that up to anyone. And if you wish to respond, I realize that's a, it's a big, a big expansive question um, as you reach out to your congregations. I'm, I'm not sure I do a very good job of it. Um, I do try to, uh, to speak about it as much as possible. I, as, as Rabbi Tom said, I don't always have the word. I try to include all of these things in our prayers of the people so that we can be mindful of, of folks who are affected by gun violence. And a few years ago, the, the, there's an organization called Every Town for Gun Safety, and um, they have a particular weekend every year that they encourage faith communities to um, pay special attention to gun violence. And um, one of the things they encourage is wearing orange. And so a few years ago, someone had made a bunch of orange stoles for clergy, and one of my parishioners bought one for me. And so I've made a point of wearing that every time we hear about another one of these mass shootings. Unfortunately, I'm wearing it a lot. It, it is. I think there's six of us, uh, that includes Keith, can tell what a challenging subject it is to discuss um, as in between questions. We've had a lot of uh, dead air time uh, as we pause, think about how we want to respond, everything like that. Uh, and, and I find that very interesting, not surprising, though. I, I figured it would be. I, I would ask, you know, we, we talked about, uh, I think Rabbi Tom had said, that this doesn't happen in Massachusetts, and a lot of it can be traced back to our, our laws. Do you, as a result of it not happening happening in Massachusetts, I know several years ago when it happened down in Connecticut, it, at least me personally, it rattled me because I'm from Connecticut. I know the town, so on and so forth. How do we keep it in the front of everybody's mind without probably the wrong terminology, but beating them over the head with it. Uh, I, I would ask all three of you, because it doesn't happen here, I think people, and it's happening all the time, are people getting desensitized, if that's even a word, uh, it is today. Uh, and what do you folks do to, in, in terms of your services, discussions with people to keep it kind of in the forefront? Uh, sure. Uh, so let me answer that. Sure. It's easy to get desensitized. We all do. I mean, it has come to the point where the mass shooting may not be the first thing I read when I look at right. it. Oh, yeah, another one of those. Okay, fine. And then I just, I mean, it's important, and I do this, to remember the individuals, these actual lives and what that meant. You know, this is, 
that these are killings of individual people who used to walk around with us and they're not anymore and they're not anymore for no good reason and that it is we always 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 have to remember that it's so hard i, I you know I, I don't blame anyone for not doing it i don't do it well it's so hard you know and we, and, and, and i want to talk about how we have to do something the uh, you know from my tradition we have two texts in the Torah uh, that are especially, particularly relevant to this. One is, do not put a stumbling block before the blind. Don't make things, you know, don't let people trip over things. Getting, we have texts that say, giving, letting people have weapons who shouldn't have them is just making it easy for them who are otherwise you know, who, who don't realize what these weapons can do or don't have, don't have, you know, haven't, you know, whatever's going on in their heads, they don't, aren't able to do something about it. And we're just saying, oh, fine, here, have some more weapons. And we have got to stop that. So how do I tell people about it? You're told not to do this. God said not to do this. It is, as Reverend Kathy said, a sin to do this and letting it happen is sinful. The second Pete, the second text, is um, you shall not stand idly by the blood of your neighbor. And this, you know, this is central. There's no such thing as an innocent bystander. Uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel said, in a free society, some are guilty, but all are responsible. Uh, you know, I can sit here and say, well, I've been opposed to all of these things. Aren't I wonderful? And at the end of the day, I am going to be, going in front of God, and God will say, why didn't you do more to stop this? Why did you allow it? You were part of a society that could stop things. You haven't. And we've got to. Um, the, the, it, we cannot, the reform movement actually participates in a campaign called You Shall Not Stand Idly By, which is an effort of, of faith leaders to uh, push for uh, reasonable gun controls that will save lives. We've got to do this. We, and so, you know, I know there's fatigue. I know, yeah, oh, another shooting. Oh, the rabbi's gonna talk about it. And you have to be careful about this, but you can't ever, ever, ever forget that this is happening and it doesn't have to. That's extremely well said, uh, Rabbi. Uh, Pastor Jacob or, or Reverend Kathy, what would you like to either add to that or, or thoughts you're having in terms of how you folks deal with this? Well, I uh, wanted to add, I don't think people, I, I want to I kind of temper something you said earlier, Jay. I don't think here in Massachusetts, I think we're lucky that it hasn't happened more often than it has happened here. So I want to just say that. And then I also want to maybe suggest that I don't think it's our safety here in Massachusetts that makes us complacent. Um, but it, instead, it's our it's just the sheer number of these incidences that make us apathetic to what's what's going on. So it's uh, when I prepared the the outline for us today. I mean, I started outlining all the number of mass shootings that happened from May 14th to our original re recording date of, of last week. And we had intended to only really talk about Buffalo and Uvalde. And in that time span, there had been like four additional mass shootings. And so being able to keep up with the list uh, became almost impossible. So I think that apathy comes from just the the sheer number of things that that happen. Um, I know for myself, I'm not particularly good at keeping this in front of people. And I want to recognize that. So generally, when I talk about these things, I kind of take a big picture of, uh, and not to oversimplify, but oh, violence is bad. <laughs> violence is bad. And we should, you know, we should try and make the world a better place um, by rejecting violence as a means of any sort of viable res response. In particular, with gun violence, what I find so incredibly difficult 
is the political nature of it. Uh, and it does make it immensely difficult to raise tangible solutions before my community of faith, given how politicized this particular topic is. And quite frankly, my tradition's really clear on some tangible solutions to this. The, the United Methodist Church has very clear social teachings and ways to, to move forward that would help. You know, so uh, just to kind of move the discussion in that general direction, you know, for instance, the United Methodist Church advocates for universal background checks and prohibiting um, individuals under a restraining order uh, from purchasing a gun. The United Methodist Church advocates for ensuring greater access to services for those who have mental illness, establishing a minimum age of gun ownership to age 21, um, banning of large capacity ammunition magazines and um, weapons designed to fire multiple rounds each time the trigger is pulled. I mean, there's lots of tangible solutions that my faith tradition advocates for. And yet because of the politicized nature of the topic, it's really hard to raise the issue. And that's unfortunate. And I think perhaps as a faith leader, I need to be more forthright and comfortable in my prophetic role to say, this is either right or it is wrong. And we as people of faith should be doing this instead of that. And it's not politics. It's about living into uh, the world we think God is leading us to live into. And it's about being a faithful person of faith, period. We, I think we have to, as faith leaders, not be afraid of the topics we raise being viewed as political because our faith is inherently political. And what I mean by that is it deals with human relationships, which is always political always political. Yeah, I would agree that we're, we're called to be countercultural. Um, you know, we can't always go along with whatever the popular notions are in the, in the culture, but we have to stand up for what we believe God is calling us to. Um, and I do find it helpful that like the Methodist church, the Episcopal church also has made statements about, um, you know, assault weapons and safe gun storage and uh, seeing gun violence as a public health crisis and all the things that Pastor Jacob mentioned. Um, we also have an organization called Bishops United Against Gun Violence, and it's a, a group of more than 100 Episcopal bishops. And their statement is, we believe in a God of life in the face of death who calls our church to speak and act decisively against the unholy trinity of poverty, racism, and violence. And they do um, public liturgy, processions, vigils, things like that. They offer spiritual support to people living with gunshot wounds and grief. Um, they offer teaching about Christian ethics and then um, persistent advocacy about all the things that we've mentioned. So it's, I feel good about having that behind me when I speak about this issue. And, and I would add, too, that from the Reform Jewish movement, uh, we have uh, consistently joined with the, uh, the same kinds, asks for rather the same kinds of uh, changes that uh, I've heard from the Methodist and Episcopal churches. Um, and I want to read from a, a letter that was sent out by the Reform Rabbinic Association, Central Conference of American Rabbis um, after Uvalde, and uh, I'll just read a paragraph from it. Before and since Sandy Hook, Reform Rabbis, communities we serve, and our partner organizations in and beyond the Reform Movement have been among the millions of Americans repeatedly calling for gun violence prevention legislation. Facing a gun industry which has purchased untold power in Washington and having experienced too many decades of advocating in vain, we could be forgiven were we to despair. We might even ask whether mass murders such as this have become so routine that they do not merit our focused attention. We vow never to become desensitized to murdered children and grieving parents. 
So I think that that to me says, you know, what we have to do. And, and, and uh, I agree completely with uh, uh, Pastor Jacob that the, uh, you know, in response to the charge of you are being political, it, anyone who thinks that religion can be separated from the world understands neither religion nor the world. I think all three of you have shared the teachings of your faith that, as you say, go into this or straddle the political, the religious political line that help us to understand the world as it is today. And it takes courage. Each one of the the teachings that the three of you referenced are strong. They're clear. We know exactly what we do. Um, how, How do you, when you share this with your congregation, are there ways that you look to taking it beyond the congregation and and into the greater community to be able to affect change. Well, we all thought we could be on this radio show and talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, I I will also say at our last interfaith council meeting, we wrestled with how we might respond as as a group to this incident. And we talked about raising, in particular, Uvalde and Buffalo and Um, times of prayer that we offer as a community, but we also then talked about creating a resource on the Interfaith Council website that would give people tools uh, when these incidences arise. So, for instance, this very topic on gun violence, um, we're in the process of collating materials that will go on the Interfaith Council website so that when these things arise, it's there's a resource for the community to turn to, to say, well, here's what the various religious traditions say about gun violence and these particular instances of it. Uh, And so I think, you know, that's, that's one way uh, as members of the interfaith council that we've been able to kind of get the, the information out there beyond our, our, our doors. Um, I would suspect, I know from my own tradition, um, all of the things that I just mentioned as our social teaching, we have a we have a, a lobbying wing of the United Methodist Church, which uh, advocates for the social teachings of the church in places of government. And so these things that I've talked about, my congregation supports that as we support the denomination, we support the the general board of uh, church and society, which advocates in halls of government for these um, particular policies, not only here in the United States, but all around the world. I think that's a, a, a great response from both of you, because this show does take three different faith traditions and you contribute to the same conversation. So people are hearing different points. People may be hearing different points of view for the first time, a different voice. Maybe they've only heard one voice. And I think the strength of the Interfaith Council in Franklin is, uh, and that's the only one I know about uh, personally. Uh, It's wonderful. And it, it is such a a thread of community that runs throughout the entire town uh, on this and other subjects. So it was good to hear how the different houses of worship can contribute knowledge and resources so that people can find ways um, to address these most horrifying situations. I just wanted to add that the Interfaith Council has a new president, Pastor Jacob. Congratulations, Pastor. Yes, thank you. You you listeners, you have the great privilege of having the last three presidents of the Interfaith Council on the show. (laughs) That's correct. Well, and a a president of Pop Warner is on here as well. So uh, thank you. Thank you very much, Rabbi. Uh, You know, the the one thing uh, that we... It has been mentioned, but not really talked about. I, I think would be remiss if we didn't. What do you feel, or what does your um, 
what do your faiths teach you or instruct you in terms of mental health and mental health care? Uh, I, I do, my opinion, I think mental health plays a lot into not just these mass shootings, but so much of, of the negative stuff we hear and read. Uh, you know, I know we've talked about it before when we had the people from the Safe Coalition on. We talked about mental health and its impact on addiction. Um, so, just just curious. You know, we we know or we think we know there needs to be some kind of uh, change in the way uh, guns are regulated. What kind of guns are allowed? Uh, ages, so on and so forth. What about the mental health aspect? Let me, I, I like to push back on that for just a minute, uh, because while I do think that, you know, clearly all of our faith traditions say it's important to uh, help people and help uh, and that our society needs to do more in terms of mental health. I mean, all that I, I you know, I put down at the beginning, but I'm what I want to push back on is that mental health is an issue in countries around the world. We do not have a less mentally healthy society in America than they do in you name it. And yet we have these incredible numbers of gun violence and other places don't. So I worry, as much as I do want to look out for mental health, I worry that when we connect the two, we have fallen into the pattern of saying, yeah, there are guns, but it's really all, or it's really mainly about mental health, or it's partially about mental health. And I don't think this is about mental health. I think this is about having getting guns in the hands of people with mental health problems. So if you have fewer guns, the people with mental health problems won't be able to get them. That's what we I meant about putting a stumbling block before the blind. So I think we can't fix this by fixing mental health. If we could even do that, we should work on it. But they're they're separate projects. My take. That's and that's that's a something I hadn't thought of. And honestly, it it it's very powerful uh, and, and makes complete sense even to me. So that's great. Uh, I, Reverend Kathy. I think that um, where mental health uh, intersects with the subject of guns most profoundly is in terms of suicide. And we haven't mentioned that. Um, two thirds of the gun deaths in this country are from suicide. So while the mass shootings get the press, it's really about people who are um, depressed and, and despondent and <clears throat> need to find a way out. And if they try by any other means, they are much less probable to succeed at suicide. If they use a gun, they probably will. And so, um, you know, as Tom said, keeping, keeping guns out of the hands of people who are going to harm themselves or others is really the key. Another great point and very well said, uh, Reverend Kathy. Uh, Pastor, do you uh, have some thoughts or what uh, would like to add? Uh, the only other thing I'd like to maybe mention is in addition to suicide, there's a number of other topics that kind of fall out from this discussion and um, that we don't think about, which are, I think, equally important. So for instance, suicide, but also gun trafficking. So I, I was looking at um, some of the rationales for some of the statements that the United Methodist Church has made in terms of gun violence. And I ran across these amazingly interesting statistics. For instance, there are more um, people killed by toddlers with guns than terrorists with guns. Wow. There are, um, of all of the illegal rifles seized uh, in the Philippines, now this is a 2013 number, but it can't have changed that much. 90% um, 
came from the United States. Of the illegal firearms seized in Mexico between 2009 and 2014, 70% were illegally trafficked from the United States. So our lust with guns has an impact way beyond the United States. Um, we have generated a tremendous amount of access across the world, which perpetuates all the violence that we've just we've just mentioned. Uh, and so this is perhaps even bigger than maybe we originally want to conceive of it. It's not just about the safety of our kids or the safety um, of those near to us, but of the people of the world, uh, which is um, makes it all the more important, I think, that we need to deal with some of this stuff. Those are Those great are stats. Amazing. Yeah. Go ahead, Pandora. I was just going to say those are interesting statistics because I, uh, I had not considered it beyond our borders. I felt that uh, I have always believed that we had a gun problem in our country, and I was aware of statistics in, in that way with regard to beyond just simply mass shootings, but I did not think of the ripple effect of gun trafficking. So you, you've brought, as you said, you've expanded the, the subject and the um, deadly aspects of it as, it, as uh, guns are so readily available in, in the United States. I, I, I still can't get over the statistic. The first one you mentioned, the uh, toddler. Jeez, uh, that, that's just, it's so sad. So sad. Well, I think we're uh, maybe a good time to bring this to a close, do a spiritual uh, reflection uh, and this month, we have our new president, Pastor Jacob, who is going to lead us. Go ahead, Mr. President. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so in thinking about, I, I shared with the group before we started recording that thinking about the reflection for this actually created a little bit of anxiety for me on what might could be said in addition to our our discussion. And as I was thinking about the reflection, there were two things that came to mind. The first is in the wake of Uvalde, there was a poem that got circulated by Brian Bilston. Uh, and the poem's called America is a Gun. And so that poem, and I'm not going to read it for this show, but that poem has really stuck in my hand, head in the the refrain is America is a gun. The other thing that other image that came to mind is actually just yesterday as I was driving over the Washington Street I-495 overpass, there was a sign affixed to the chain link fence that said freedom over fear. And I'm not sure why it was there, um, but that sign got me thinking that freedom is indeed a fearful thing. Uh, and in particularly complete freedom is, abs is extremely risky and dangerous, especially when we think about guns. And so those who adamantly defend gun ownership, in particular ownership of high capacity magazines and weapons designed to fire multiple rounds when the trigger is pulled, they often do so by claiming that it's their right to own such we weapons or they have the freedom to do so and therefore um, should be allowed to. I'd like to suggest that personal freedom must always be weighed by the common good. And what we find, this is where the spiritual reflection comes in, I promised we were going to get there, is that Paul wrestled with this idea of personal freedom versus common good in his first letter to the Corinthians. Uh, and while he wasn't dealing with gun violence, instead he was trying to figure out what the witness of um, the early church would be in terms of eating meat sacrificed to idols and whether or not Christians should, uh, the early church should do that. And what Paul writes is this, it's 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24. He says, everything is permitted, but everything is not beneficial. Everything is permitted, but everything does not build others up. No one should look out for their own advantage, but they should look out for each other. 
And so in terms of this conversation, I would just like to suggest as our spiritual reflection that if America is to truly live into its highest ideals, if we're going to be a nation where all truly are free, where all are given an opportunity to prosper and build a life of their own choosing, then we must be willing, contrary to what Brian Bilston writes, we must be willing to give up our guns. Even though it's permissible, it's not beneficial. We must think about the common good. America at its best is not and should not be a gun. And so with that, I would just consider you, uh, and in particular, all those who are, who are listening, to say an amen. 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 You gave us a very powerful, thoughtful, reflective ending to a um, very serious conversation. And uh, I thank you for that. All three of you um, shared with us uh, your faith teachings as they pertain to this subject and gave us new pathways of thought and, and new information that I hope that we can use moving forward in this a battle against um, guns and its associated violence. I thank you very much, uh, Rabbi Tom, Pastor Jacob, Reverend Kathy, for always coming and sharing your knowledge and your faith with us. Jay, thank you very much for being here today. He, well, thank you for having me, Pandora. <laughs> you keep us going, Jay. And and Keith, thank you for guiding us with the technology and the recording to make a Zoom conversation become a podcast or radio show that can be listened to and learned from by others. Thank you. And uh, until our next show, we thank you from Franklin TV and radio for being with us today. Thank you.